Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners. Welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. This is quite an exultant Daily Canon Weekly Podcast because that's right, football is very nearly back in the Premier League sense of the word. Uh, and obviously, despite some interesting things on the horizon, that's probably a good thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to us. So uh, the us here is Paul Williams back again. How are you, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Developing nicely into my role as Anita's stuntman, <laughs> I feel. Well, listeners might disagree. <laughs> I, I think you need to work on the accent a little, but... <laughs> uh, but yes, um, you're uh, working from home as the world continues to be mental. Um how have you sort of, before we get into the football, which obviously we will do at length, how have you felt about the fact that today has been the day where things have been opening up? Not too, uh, I've not really been out, to be honest. I've been working, so it's, um, yeah, no, no impact for me directly. But as a general point, I feel quite strongly that the government probably shouldn't be opening things up as they are doing now. Um, I don't know how long you want to spend on that. Uh, I think they locked down too late and they're opening up too early. And I think enjoy the podcast, everyone. It's going to be good. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's an interesting thing because quite apart from wherever you stand on it, on the politically or on the medical advice side of things, there's also the fact that we've all basically been like, apart from the digital world, living like fucking hermits you know, to a certain degree for the last three months. And just psychologically, it's sort of slightly weird being let outside. <laughs> it feels it feels a bit like, you know, you've done a stretch and you've got to readjust to the real world. Yeah, I mean, I've been out running periodically over the last week. But I noticed um, the last time I went out, or not the last time, the first time I went out after the Dominic Cummings thing happened, the streets were a lot busier than they had been previously. Um, and they're definitely, um, I live just off uh, the high street in Beckenham. So probably ideally place to tell you about how a high street looks uh, <laughs> during lockdown. And um, people were definitely losing patience with lockdown, but even before the Dominic Cummings didn't happen. And then it did happen. And the man is still in his job. And people seem to basically be, have thought, well, why am I staying indoors if Dominic Cummings can bugger off up to Durham and um, it's okay for him? Well, I think it's also the fact that, you know, we've been getting a few mixed messages, uh, even ignoring that particular situation. And we're sort of simultaneously told to be careful, but given lots of positivity. So people are in a sort of situation of going, particularly when we're told, well, we should all be going back to work unless, and then, so people are going, so where, where, like, is it normal? Is it not normal? Am I, so, and so everyone is in this kind of slight limbo state of going, okay, well, we're trying to go a bit back to normal, but that doesn't feel quite right. So I'm just going to go here and maybe have a mask or maybe not depending on what I think the rules are. And so, you know, the vagueness of it all is very difficult. And also, of course, the government's policy has been a, largely one of following the people into its policy decisions, whether that's into lockdown or out of it. Um, possibly because we don't have a long cultural history of kind of 
imposing these kind of things. And, you know, the government expressed its concerns about that. Whether we think they were right to do so is another matter. But it's it's an interesting thing watching it play out in the UK compared to how it is in some of the other countries. Like really simple things like, of course, in Asia, people wear masks when they get sick. If they got a cough, they wear a mask in large parts of Asia, you know, particularly Japan and Korea and, and places like that. Whereas over here, that's not something we have done. You know, since the fucking since the fucking plague, that's the last time we saw people walking around with masks, and so it's it's much harder for it to take to us because it's culturally alien to us. Um, of course, this relates to football because there's been a lot of discussions we had last week about how footballers feel about it. You know, how much say they've had, um, but certainly the indications seem to be that it's going to be pretty safe for all the all the players they're certainly taking they've taken about as much precautions as they can and we find ourselves sort of coming in a, in football terms full circle because of course it was man city and arteta that uh, saw us into the period of football winding down uh, rather abruptly after pretenses to the contrary and it opens up uh, with much the same thing uh, complete with Mikel Arteta being 45 minutes late for his scheduled press conference today, which still hasn't started. Uh, which tells you when we'll be recording, listeners. <laughs> we were hoping to get after the press conference, but hey, the press conference is uh, is running late. Um, so, I mean, psychologically, before we get onto the specifics, how do you feel about the return of football? You know, for you personally. For me personally? Um... I am quite excited. I think I said last week um, I was trying to maintain this facade of uh, not missing it, and I lasted about two weeks of lockdown before I bought Pro Evo. So um, it saw me through to a certain degree. I think the difficult thing for me is I have a friend I've mentioned it many times before. He's a Brentford fan. He goes on and on and on and on and on and on about football. I can't tell him about this podcast because of what I've just said. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's just like, he, he reminds me a little bit of me when I was 12 and I used to start every conversation and it would be about football. And um, I got to the point where my mum would ban me from talk speaking because she's like, is this football? And I'd be like, yeah. And she'd be like, right, you can't shut up. You're not allowed to talk. <laughs> um, and sadly, we've got to the ages of 43, 44 and Gabs doesn't seem to quite have moved on from football being the be-all and end-all. Um, so, us losing to Brentford in that friendly last week was a little bit uh, difficult, briefly. Um, all of which is a long way round of saying I haven't missed the talking shite about football, but I have missed the football. So, I will... Yeah, um, I'd normally have a regular Skype call with some other friends on Wednesday night and we're, we're in negotiations to move that to another <laughs> night. <now. laughs> uh, we, we were going to do a Skype call whilst watching the football, but then I realised some people would be streaming it. And um, so obviously that presents its own challenges. Um, yeah, so hopefully we'll do that tomorrow on football on Wednesday and I can suffer... A miserable night in Manchester in in the comfort of my living room and without having to talk to anyone except probably the cats 
Because <laughs> even your missus will be avoiding you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she does. She just leaves the leaves the room. Um, sometimes that results in Arsenal goals, of course. Some people, everyone has someone in their life <laughs> that a team. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I get. I know. I saw talked about it last week it's really difficult to know what to expect when mm. this all starts again you know it's been three months um the guys have been training together for not that long really um the warm-up matches i mean i, I didn't know if you were planning to talk about them at, yep. at all but <laughs> <laughs> good a time as any yeah so the goal that Aubameyang scored against Charlton last week was um on the dot com, they described it as a darting run, but they didn't tell you about the Dalton defender who <laughs> didn't actually want to go anywhere near Bobby and to close it down. Um, he sort of just kicked him uh, past him and he went, oh, fuck it. <laughs> so, um, I, I, and I guess that has its own excitement, doesn't it? I mean, um, you know, obviously Arsenal were in the doldrums six months ago and Arteta's come in and re- reinvigorated the team. Um, so, I wouldn't say I, I was hopeful about our chances on Wednesday evening, but I haven't totally written us off yet either. Well, I, I suppose uh, trepidatious interest is still, as you as you allude to, much more preferable to apathy, which is on depression, which we'd reached by sort of mid-November. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, at least we're in a situation now where we're going, well, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, as opposed to watching games going, oh Christ, don't, just don't let it be too miserable, you know. Um, I mean, we've got a very tricky start. Obviously, we started with a nice flurry of away games. Thank you, Fixture Computer. Um, but as as you say, we have no idea what to expect for any of the teams. Um, you know, we've seen the, our two preseason matches where he's gubbed a mediocre Charlton 6-0 uh, who didn't seem that interested in defending and lost 3-2 to a surprisingly up for it Brentford uh, uh, most notable thing from an Arsenal perspective I guess from those games was um, David David Luiz got one of his Keystone Cops errors out the way against Brentford which was good better in that game than on Wednesday um, and that Lacazette has banged in a couple of very nice goals so those are looking sharp and um, yeah, Enketa got a hat trick against said poorest Charlton defence. Lovely goal from Willock. And we've seen Maitland Niles get a run out in midfield, which, you know, is interesting. Whether it's really pertinent going forward it remains to be seen, given that uh, uh, lots of publications seem to be running with the idea that he's going to be sold to pay for Abamyang's p- potential contract extension or not. Um, and that's that's the one that's been doing the rounds, and that's the story that he's up for sale hasn't really gone away. Um, but then, despite that, Arteta's used him in that friendly, so we really don't know until we get to competitive matches what what that means. Is he getting a chance in his favoured position, or is he just being f- fattened up like a turkey for Christmas? <laughs> um, so yeah. We we stand at sort of the edge of a situation that none of us have really experienced before, starting a season again, we're smack bang in the middle of it. And given how bad things were before, we might as well approach it with a degree of optimism because 
at least that uncertainty isn't as bad as what we what we <laughs> what we had before. I mean, we're in a situation where we're not going to go down, we're not going to win the league. Top four is a long shot, so we might as well just enjoy it. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously. City away is going to be very tricky. Um, I haven't heard anything about what's been going on at City in their sort of training. It, there's been very little stories just broadly about City, apart from the continual linking of Leroy Sane to anyone that might be interested in buying a winger and happens to have loads of money. Um, but uh, it's all been pretty quiet coming information coming out up there, and I haven't heard any team news from either either camp yet, so we can't speculate too much about that. But obviously, we know that Guardiola is not going to be fucking around, and there's going to be an extra level of spice with Arteta returning, and uh, I'm sure the master would like to to put the apprentice back in his place. Thank you very much, but we shall see. Um. It's a strange one, football coming back, isn't it? Because it's been it's something which is usually such a large part of our lives, and then suddenly it stops. But it stops in such an extraordinary situation that you're kind of you don't feel its absence as much in a way when everything's mental. But now things are starting to creep back to normal. You sort of feel, for me, I feel like I slightly feel the absence of football more because that's something I associate with day to day normality. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I think that's probably right. It's um, football is like the punctuation marks in a week, isn't it? (laughs) Tuesday, Wednesday night, commas, Saturday, Sunday, football start, weekend done, and you're either miserable or happy, whatever's happened from football. Spoken like a true fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, One thing, though, I... um, I made notes. Well, people might not believe it, but I do actually make notes of every now and then. And I wrote down like the team sheet from the Brentford game, and then the substitutions, and then the substitutions that followed, and then there was one that followed after that. And I've just realised, looking at all these names, that mm. Graham Shaka wasn't on the team sheet. Is he injured? I don't know. This is the thing. I really don't know. I know. I know that he's. I know that. Uh, I think they've had a baby quite recently. Like not super recently. Uh, I mean, you know, at this time again, it's one of those things where there's bugger all news coming out. Um, I know that he did have a bit. I know that he did have a knock, but I don't know if it's he's still not fit or, or is it we're just taking precautions. You know, we 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 really don't know. Um, you know, there were there were. Sorry, yeah, sorry. I was just saying he didn't start against Charlton, but no, no. I, uh, I that was noted as well. But I knew, I knew he was coming back from a knock or or a sprain or something. Again, not a lot of information about it. But we don't know. Is he injured or was it just a case of well, there's no need to play him in this game and take a risk because he's still not 100. percent You know. Yeah. Um, again, we, we we await the news out of Arsenal, but. Uh, yeah, um, so far the only bit of the press conference that's made a write-up is us talking about Arteta saying how we can surprise City. Well, uh, we and he says we can surprise City because nobody has the rhythm. Um, oh, actually, no, that's not even Arteta, that's Bert Leno. They're so desperate for Arteta to turn up, they're just <laughs> scraping out quotes from anywhere. Um, but, you know, it's true. I mean, that alludes to what we're saying is, you know, nobody's got any momentum, nobody knows where, exactly how things are going to be. Both teams are generally pretty good quick at quick starts to a season, so we shall have to wait and see on that one. Um, 
I mean, going back to the Brentford Charlton games, did you see any of the goals? Uh, I saw Aubameyang's goal, obviously. Yeah. I, uh, I saw Lacazette's uh, thundercracker. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think I've, I've seen many of the other ones, and there were a few, weren't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. No. No. Yeah, well, as I say, the, the quality of defending in both games is not anything to particularly write home about. Um, but I mean, you know, it's it's good it's good for us as a squad uh, uh, that uh, Inketia got got in the goals against again, albeit a pretty pretty disinterested Charlton team. Um, but you know, if if Lacazette's starting to find his shooting boots again, which is long overdue, and if Inketia is still providing a threat, you know. Uh, if we know that Abamyang is going to be sharp. I mean, that's how he rolls. Um, so you know, if we if we've got all three of our striking options looking ready to make an impact and looking like they're somewhere playing at reasonably high levels of confidence, then that's going to be really big for us going forward. Because one thing that Arteta's done is he's managed to solidify the team and stop us being a complete fucking shambles in our own half. But we haven't really scored that many more goals. And that's partly because we haven't created many more chances, <laughs> frankly. Actually, our, a lot of our advanced metrics are, are not really much different to how they were under Emery. It's just that we're not exploding clown car in defence. Um, and, uh, you know, Lacazette's finishing has been, has been off and we've all seen him really struggling, you know, in the middle part of this season. Um, so if he can be back to providing a goal threat as we have seen him for Arsenal in the past, then that's going to make a big difference to us because we, you know we know that Aubameyang is great at scoring goals out of not a great deal, um, and and you know just a couple more real goal threats in the in the team and the squad is going to make us a much more challenging op- uh, proposition for anyone that we're up against. Um, particularly as we're still not likely to get a lot from central midfield uh, you know I think Ozil venturing into the opposition penalty area is still a pretty rare occurrence and Xhaka going far behind the halfway line is, is similarly rare so um, you know we really are relying on our on our front three and and substitute strikers for any, any uh, goal impact um, I mean there's sort of quite a lot elsewhere that's been happening with football. Um, I mean, without wishing to raise politics again, you know, this is a football podcast, not a politics podcast, but I think we have to give some praise to Marcus Rashford, who suddenly emerged as quite a high-profile figure talking about things that matter. Uh, I don't know if you would have seen his open letter to MPs. Um, it is, yeah. 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 For those of you who don't know, it's, he's talking at length about... Um, Essentially, about the government's decision to uh, stop stop the provision of school dinners, you know, for people who normally get free school meals over the summer and what have you, um, uh, and talks about it from the position of having grown up in a situation where he was reliant on that support, and how he wants to use his platform to, rather than being a statistic of child poverty or child hunger or indeed crime, which are things that could have been he felt went down uh, because of his support he got from others he's managed to make great things out of himself so far and he wants to use that platform to try and apply a little bit of pressure to make sure you know he talked talk very eloquently about uh, essentially about how child hunger should even at a time like now should not be acceptable in a country as wealthy as ours and of course he makes the point very very well that you know during this lockdown during the economic downturn uh, that problem has only increased there's going to be more and more families 
who are struggling to make ends meet to to pay to feed themselves and their children um and it's you know it's i think it's really laudable when when footballers use a platform to you know they're not getting into particularly controversial topics but he's using his position to draw attention to something which i think most people probably don't necessarily have an awareness of or at least not an awareness of that the policy has changed and that's going to affect lots of people uh you know he's not like wading into anything particularly controversial there but it's i think it's a really impressive thing Uh, i mean i I don't know if you've got anything to add to that (laughs) there's nothing nothing to add really um i I say that i am gonna add something (laughs) (laughs) i saw a tweet earlier which was um they were talking about harry kane and the support he's given to i mean forgive me for not knowing the details of what harry kane said but harry kane was doing obviously you've had Raheem sterling speaking out Mm. black lives matter um and just you know what an impressive front three for England, a front three that you know you can we can be proud of. Um, you know you don't have to think too far back in England's history to uh, remember a team that just seemed to be very ego driven and not really give a toss about anything other than their own egos. And that might not be how it was in two thousand and four, but it felt like it was. Yeah, I mean, whether it's egos or not, just the very fact that we've got a group of young men who recognise the impact they can have um, and have an awareness of broader social issues beyond their own personal experience, even though they refer to their own personal experiences. Um, you know, we've, we've often heard, and it often comes from from more reactionary types, people talking about sports, people should only talk about sport and shouldn't be involved in wider issues, which is, of course, ludicrous because everyone's got an opinion about something. And if someone feels they can make a change for the better, they should be encouraged to do so. Um, I mean, I don't think we experience quite the revulsion here that sometimes happens in the States, but we've, we've talked at length before about what Raheem Sterling experienced in terms of sustained character assassination and now suddenly because basically he was able to come through that and retain his dignity suddenly he gets the same fascist twats in certain newspapers uh picking him up um but that's a a testament to his strength and dignity he wasn't cowed by that criticism and we see it at arsenal as well you know i mean we know that arsenal don't shout about it but do a massive amount of charity work as a number of the big clubs do and hector bellerin is our sort of equivalent social issues role model isn't he i mean he's to, to 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 irritate some of the right wing tum thumpers on Twitter, he's a bit more woke than perhaps uh, uh, some of the others on a broader range of issues. But it is that thing of you know, footballers are always portrayed as being you know working class and stupid and whatever. But one can be working class without being stupid, and you don't have to be working class to be a footballer. And there is absolutely no reason why these people can't have valid opinions. And it makes me proud to have some players like that at our club as well as players you know elsewhere that I admire that are doing great things even if that includes Harry Kane (laughs) yeah Um, I remember just before the election uh, Hector Bellerin tweeted um, I think one of his hashtags was fuck Boris (laughs) yes and um, someone replied to him and said oh don't get involved so I think I might even have mentioned it at the time. Why is Hector Bellerin, as a young European living in this city, not allowed to get involved in politics? You know, um, I mean, 
obviously it helps me that I agree agreed <laughs> with what Bellerin was saying, but um, I would never, you know, people have rights to have opinions and people have rights to have horrible opinions. You can't stop people having them or voicing them. And, you know, <laughs> we saw that in the city uh, over, over the weekend and it, it makes me so cross that people think coming down to London and um, in England, England at the police, you know, oh, what do you think you're doing? We all know we, this is our capital city. Um, what are you doing? Um, who are you trying to defend? You know, no, no one's trying to do damage, damage to any of you. I think I said it last week um, on CNN. Um, some brilliant woman was saying about how white men don't realise that equality is not a cake. And if you give some of it to black people, it doesn't mean white people get less of it. Um, and I just think there's so much of that in this. It's, it, there, there is a strain of in, English person, and I've seen them down at the Old Bailey. I work just up the road from it. So last year, witnessing the Tommy Robinson de- demonstration. Funsies. Huh? Funsies, I said. Oh, yeah, you're, trying to, you're just trying to get home and you're just walking past loads of people treating this guy like he's a folk hero. Isn't it? Yeah. The, the ignorance of it just boils my mind. Good old Stephen Christopher Yaxley Lennon. Indeed. <laughs> uh, who, who, man of the people, who's taken on a fake name because no, he doesn't want anyone to realise that he's not that at all. Um, so, so yeah, so these guys come down and they're shouting abuse and punching police officers that are defending the statues that these guys have come down to defend. And then they what piss. Are you doing? And then piss on a copper's grave, and, and then, one, then yeah. <laughs> and or memorial, and then one of them has to get carried out, to carried to safety by a black protester uh, preaching for equality, which is iconic photograph of the weekend. But yeah, I mean, it's you know the fact. Yeah. The fact is, is there's you know, you do that element is always going to be here. This we're in a country which is having is having a, a bit of a crisis of identity. Hence the whole you know the different sides of the Brexit argument. You know, I could talk about this for hours and hours. I've written at length about it in different formats. Um, I suppose the main thing is is just that. As you state, you know, these people are perfectly welcome to have their opinions and as long as they only express their opinions and don't start beating people up, great, whatever. You know, you can tell me I should go back home on the next boat or whatever, you know. I mean, then I can tell you that my home is ham- was, you know, Hammersmith Hospital and my dad's more British than the, f- than the fucking Anglo-Saxons because his family been here since Engies. But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Um, the the fact is is I can't say that they can't have that opinion, um, and yeah, obviously if a footballer comes out and you know if we've all seen Peter Shilton wading into things on Twitter, and the fact is you know I might think that he's a dinosaur, uh, but he's allowed to have that opinion. He's not he's not being overtly uh, abusive. Uh, he's being sort of slightly passively abusive, but that's a different thing. So fine, whatever, you know, uh, if if he's able to use his platform to do what he thinks is the right thing, then that's up to him to do so. And, and the same to anyone who would say things that I'm slightly more in agreement with. Um, 
I mean, before we go any further down that path, we should probably get back onto football. Uh, and, and with that in mind, you know, as well as being a challenging time for uh, politics in the world and in this country and everything else, it's also a sort of a lot of uncertainty for football clubs. I mean, obviously we talked touched a little bit before about the financial implications, and that's being felt at Arsenal. We know that the players have asked to take a pay cut. We know that some youth scouts were laid off. Uh, whether that's directly financially related or whether it's part of the restructuring of that area of the club, we don't know. Um, but, uh, I mean, the, the, I suppose the primary uncertainty is uh, our super-duper striker. And, mm. uh, you know, he's slightly raised the stakes in that interview in, with, with the French press, uh, which was conducted yesterday, I think it was, or maybe it was only reported yesterday, where he's basically said, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's the, you know, it's the biggest decision of my career. You know, it's, it's a crossroads. Um, the club know, and sort of said something along the lines of the club, they know what they have to do to make it happen, you know. Um, and, I mean, well, you know, What's your instinct? <laughs> um, so I read it and I was like, um, well, actually, I saw what I saw was someone tweet and basically say, oh, well, that's it. He's off then. And then I, I read what he had to say. And I think you could probably interpret it either way. I mean, as as we said last week, we were trying to be optimistic about it. And, you know, if Arsenal want to keep Aubameyang, they have to have a strong end to the season and then they probably have to recruit well where they need to recruit. Um, alternatively, you could read it as he's said very clearly that he's off and Arsenal need to go and find someone to take him off us, which I'm sure won't be too difficult. Yeah, I mean, um, I took him pretty much at face value with what he said. In that he says he hasn't made his mind up yet. And I think that's probably true. I mean... It, you know, there's so much uncertainty, and there has been so much uncertainty. You know, if Arsenal have a great end to the season and can stump up the the requisite amount of cash, if we think that's wise, um, then then it may be one of the better options he has because there's not going to be that many clubs around Europe who gonna who are going to be able to pay the wages that he would require, uh, being a player of his level, and a number of those clubs don't necessarily need a player of his type or his position. Um, you know, he, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a player that could significantly impact for almost any team in the world. But, you know, some of those teams have already got really good goal-scoring strikers or uh, don't have a bit of cash flow issues. I mean, you've got Barcelona are desperate trying to flog off Coutinho and Dembele because they've spunked all their money on players that haven't actually helped them. And even though they do really need a centre-forward, I'm not sure Aubameyang is the number one model for their play style. Um, I mean, w w you know, how many potential realistic destinations do you think there are for him outside of Arsenal? I guess it, it, it depends what you want and where you want it, doesn't it? I mean, in terms of prestige, you're talking Barcelona, Real, um, Bayern Munich, maybe. I don't think he would go back to Germany. I no, I Germany's... don't think so either. He, I think he's been uh, quite outspoken about not never, never wanting to play for Bayern as well. Okay. Um, PSG, maybe, but the French... Just... 
where's the buzz? I mean, I, I think for Uber, and I'm projecting, because <laughs> <laughs> where's the buzz been for him at Arsenal for the last two and a half years, if you look at it? Um, I just think for him, like having the ability that he has, surely if you if you're going to leave Arsenal, you want to go to a prestige football club for the, what's it what's it got probably three four years, yeah, maybe yeah. five if my Pro Evo game's anything to go by. <laughs> um, uh, so it's Italy. Yeah, I, I think it's it's. I mean, I think if Real Madrid, well, we all know if Real Madrid offered him 250 grand a week, he'd sign there tomorrow if he had the chance because he's always wanted to play for them. He promised his granddad he'd try and play for them, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's a strong link there. Um, now, Real Madrid's an interesting one because they could probably benefit a lot from him, um, but that means they have to do something with the players they currently have in that position because there's only so many uh, highly paid strikers you can have in a squad <laughs> um, any given time. Which, of course, opens possibilities for Arsenal. I mean, we've already heard earlier in the summer rumours of a Aubameyang Luka Jovic swap. Um, I mean, Jovic is a player that we were tracking since he was 15 years old and actually tried to buy but couldn't have uh, discovered at a work home it's going to be impossible for a number of years ago. Um, and he's obviously got, you know, he's he's not the level of Aubameyang and he's never going to be the athlete Aubameyang is, but he's a fantastic finisher and could be a very interesting player for us if that eventuality does come round. But I guess the the financial situation in Spain, Spanish football is so uncertain at the moment that, you know, there's, I think there's going to be a, a lot of selling to buy and it's going to be a very much a merry-go-round merry, merry which as soon as one or two dominoes fall there'll be a bit of a flurry of activity. So I would not be surprised to see come the summer it be something that drags on with Aubameyang because obviously why is he going to sign another contract until he knows what his options are? Mm. And, and Arsenal are like, well, we can't sell him unless someone bids for him and we're not going to sell him for like 30 million or something because the goals he's likely to get for us are probably worth more than that to the club you know if someone if someone puts 50 million on the table then you you know and he's got a year left of his contract then you'd have to take the money and see what you do elsewhere if he's not going to renew a contract but it it's a, it I think you know that's why I take Aubameyang at his word I think he really doesn't know what he's going to do because he doesn't know what his options are um, um yeah and I think that probably goes for quite a lot of players around Europe at the moment. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've said it before. I think the one thing about Uber is that he genuinely seems reasonably happy at Arsenal, um, hmm. or very happy even. You know, you don't often see him. I know he's given the odd screw face to, I think, Saka, was it, last last year? There was a screw face at Saka. Or Joe Willock, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but generally, he's on the pitch demeanour. When you see him in training, he's laughing. Um, so I have that optimism that actually, if you're happy somewhere, why make a change? Equally, if he wants to go and win something. Uh, Dimitris made a really good case for keeping last week and um, was quite persuasive. Um, <laughs> I could see you being persuaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it was a very good argument. Um, 
walking away from it, you sort of feel um, and, have, and having thoughts about it. Actually, like I want to keep him. I, I think it'd be madness to let him go this summer if we can possibly keep him. But you can see that if he goes, that opens up an opportunity for Bukayo Saka on the left flank. Because as things stand, Aubameyang is playing in a position, it's not the exact position that Saka would be playing in, but it would be a different position if Aubameyang wasn't playing it and Saka would probably be in it. Or Gabriel Martinelli might be in it. Mm. Um, So... They, they, I mean, they're massive shoes to fill and massive shoes to ask, you know, a pair of 20-year-olds to try and fill. But there is that option available to Arsenal. I, I think, as I said last week, you know, if you if you sell Aubameyang, you take 25 goals out of the team straight away. And I think that's the worry for me is that uh, we've been, even since... Um, Emery, when we've been massively reliant on Aubameyang's goals, mm. and if you take that out of the team, where are they coming from, really? Yeah, and particularly as we've actually seen, you know, since he's been made captain, Aubameyang has really stepped up in a more versatile way than we'd seen before. I mean, we've seen, we saw his his immense efforts tracking tracking back. I mean, that game against Chelsea where. Where we were a man down, and this really springs to mind. I mean, that was like Herculean, um, even even though he didn't get the plaudits for goal scoring. But the the shift he put in was, and and he he's taken a you know since being made captain, he's tried to get more involved in play in general. You know, which has been quite which has been interesting because you know he's a player that didn't need to do that, but has taken that responsibility to heart which again gives you hope towards him perhaps wanting to stay but equally as you say you know there is there are all players leave um and even though it's sometimes very painful uh particularly if they go to manchester united (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, and and win we didn't mention them as a possible destination did no um I, I mean, it, it simultaneously would be like a brilliant signing for Manchester United and, and a really stupid signing for them as well. Like because he'd score them a lot of goals, but all their best attacking players are quick stri- strikers who are best playing, you know, high up the pitch. Uh, yes, he's a little bit different and he's more of a poacher and all the rest of it, but it, it would make their front line a very kind of uniform stylistically so I'm not sure it would make a great deal of sense uh, I mean maybe I'm wrong um, but you know for me it's a case of if he's if he makes it clear he's not going to sign a new contract then you start listening to what m- money people are going to put up and you start evaluating your options because you know even before lockdown we were a club that's hit financial buffers a bit we haven't had champions league football for a period of time if we don't get champions league football again can we even afford uh to add a renewed contract for Aubameyang on top of the contracts we've got and still have the flexibility to bring in other players we might need in other positions you know there's a lot there's a lot to balance there you know particularly as there's all these rumors about thomas party at atletico madrid that seem to be (laughs) kept alive almost every day by the gossip columnists 
uh, and his dad. <laughs> um, and, you know, anyone who's watched Party play can see what he would bring to Arsenal's midfield, a sort of athletic, dynam- di- you know, dynamic athletic uh, qualities that we don't have. But, you know, you've got to pay the man and that money's mm. going to come from somewhere. And so I suppose it also partly depends on, you know, Arteta's made it very clear he wants Aubameyang to stay. Um, but can he do that and do the other things he wants to do if Aubameyang's going to walk away for free in a year? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. He'd be a manager, eh? Well, it's. I mean, this this is an interesting situation because, of course, you know, as I wrote about in my lengthy piece about Emery's demise in the last week or so on on the Daily Canon, um, check it out. It's a long read, but it's worth it. Uh, but, but you know, as 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 I said in that, it's a it's a thing where you've got the manager stroke head coach, and we've got this weird structure where we're kind of. It seems to be coagulating into something slightly clearer, but there's a lot of different people sharing certain responsibilities, and you're not quite sure who's making the final call about certain things. Particularly as Arteta has shown a slightly more, uh, slightly more d- dominant and stronger personality than Emery did in terms of claiming ownership of things beyond his immediate remit. You know, Emery was very much the I- "I'm the good boy, I'll be the head coach. I don't want to. I'm not going to stick my nose in where it's not wanted anywhere else." Whereas Arteta's kind of walked in and put it on the table and said, right, this this shit ain't good enough. <laughs> and so, you know, there's going to be interesting dynamics there. Well, I think even, um, you know, the way Emery handled the Aaron Ramsey thing last year, it was like, oh, it's between him and the club. The matter is uh, closed, I think, was the phrase he used. Um, mm. and maybe Aaron Ramsey was going to go all along and the situations are not maybe comparable but I think you know taking aside what Emery actually produced on the football pitch if he was in charge now he wouldn't be getting involved in trying to keep mm. Aubameyang at the club or it doesn't feel like he would maybe he would or, maybe well, he, well there, he wouldn't but... he wouldn't publicly we know that. I guess, yeah, there's enough to hit him around the head for that we know that he did or didn't do without getting into hypothetical. <laughs> but I mean, with the Aaron Ramsey situ- situation, we you know we know that um, Gazidis sort of had a semi-agreement with his agent. The agent was prevaricating, prevaricating, prevaricating. Obviously, the agent is going to wait and see what else he can squeeze out of somewhere else. That's his job for for himself and his client to a degree. Um, and the club got fed up with it and also looked at it and thought, yeah, okay, Wenger and Gazidis agreed 250, 300 grand a week or whatever it would have been with Aaron Ramsey. You know, he's a great player, but is that worth it when his hamstrings mean he can only play half a season at his top level? And, you know, someone, and it's probably uh, Raul and the board, took the decisions to do it strategically it wasn't wasn't worth it um had we not had the Urzel and Mkhitaryan contracts sitting on the books and not generating a great deal perhaps the, de- the decision may have been different because you can afford to carry one or two players that aren't able to impact things as regularly but uh, given the state of where things were I don't think anyone can feel you know feel that like what the conclusion reached wasn't an understandable one even if it was a sad one um 
now of course we're hearing rumours that Juventus want to want to loan Ramsey to Spurs which I this fucking after hell freezes over uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my fucking bitch yeah exactly like I mean of course some Spurs fans are like loving it because it'd be one up over Arsenal but um I'm sure if Aaron Ramsey's being uh, squeezed at Juventus, which doesn't seem to be the case from what I've seen, um, I'm sure Tottenham wouldn't be his first choice of alternative destination. <laughs> no. No, I think we can agree on that. Which would be the true, even if he'd never played for Arsenal and hated Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I suppose elsewhere, I mean, have you seen much of Thomas Partey, the, the Ghanaian Atletico midfielder? No, I have not. Um... I probably should. I mean, there's been so much chat about him recently. He's always kind of seemed a bit like a fantasy signing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from what you said earlier about him having the attributes the Arsenal midfield doesn't have. Um, it's like, oh, he sounds really good. So presumably we're not going to sign Because <laughs> why would Arsenal sign exactly what they need in central midfield? Um well, I mean, they've tried it. They, you know, when, when Lucas Torreira turned up, we were like, they they, they brought a midfielder who could tackle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. And I think Gendouzi will ultimately prove to be a really good signing for us. Um, mm. It's interesting. I saw a Gunner panel on Twitter getting into a conversation about whether we should be spending 50 million euros on this guy. And he was of the opinion that what we need to do is buy him players cheap and then sell them high. Um, people were saying to him, and I think I agree with this, I think if if you can address needs that you, you know you have in a squad by signing someone, if he's going to make a positive difference to your football team, go and get him. I mean, we've needed a dominant physically imposing athletic midfielder for years. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, I, 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 I don't want to go back to the exact year, but, um, <laughs> you know, it just seems like uh, if, if he wants to come and Arsenal could do the deal, and it, I, I, this is a terribly ignorant thing to say, Bearing in mind that I've never seen this guy play football. Yes, you but have. What? Because he was fucking brilliant when he filled in it right back against us in the in the Europa League semi final. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I forgot about those games. Um, <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> <laughs> so I I basically think that um, if you've got someone available and he wants to come, and it seems like. It doesn't seem like getting him out of Madrid is going to be much of an issue as long as the money's right. If you can get him here, and it is the cost of doing business is ultimately that I don't want to sell Aubameyang, I'll make that very clear. Mm. Um, but we've got people that can replace Aubameyang in some way. I know I said 10 minutes ago that there's shoes to fill. They are big shoes to fill, but Gabriel Martinelli has to play at some point. He's too good not to play for Bukayo uh, Saka, we, like Jesus Christ, if we lose this guy, it would be a it would be a travesty uh, along the lines of Cesc Fabregas signing for Arsenal when he was 16 years old and the outgoing director at Barcelona left a note on his file saying, "Oh, you'll have to explain how this one got away." Um, mm. 
So I, I'm very much in favour of him coming just because I think Arsenal needed that sort of player for years. Um, so yeah, if you can get him, get him. Yeah, it certainly changed the dynamic. I mean, I, I, I sort of take the halfway viewpoint between the two arguments in that, yeah, we need to buy players that fulfil obvious needs, uh, but we also need to simultaneously look on the cheap uh, to get players who are going to increase in value. And amusingly, there's a player that apparently we were tracking uh, who... Uh, appeared to have done a deal to go elsewhere and that deal's been undone it's a, a guy called uh, Papi Gay who plays for Le Havre in Ligue 2 who's a sort of v- very physically imposing deep lying left footed playmaker a, a sort of not as good passing uh, but bigger and uh, slightly quicker Granite Xhaka type uh, for, for want of a better way of putting it um, and he's a, his contract's run out He's, he's on a Bosman. And the deal was announced uh, in February or March. Uh, no, it was actually announced on the 1st of May. It was rumoured in March, but it was announced officially on the 1st of May that he was going to join Watford uh, on, a, on a Bosman. However, he's been interviewed uh, and also made a statement with L'Equipe that he has not signed with Watford and has wants nothing to do with signing for Watford, uh, <laughs> because essentially the original agreement was done with someone who was acting for him as an agent, but he's now found out said agent... Well, his, uh, his quote, and this is a beautiful quote, which is part of the statement, says, For me, the future is still uncertain. I want to denounce the circumstances which surrounded the signature of a contract with Watford and what I consider to be irregularities directly with their representatives. I take note of the end of all contractual link with Watford. <laughs> which is fairly... Uh, which it, You get the impression his agent might have helped him with that one. Because uh, he's got a new agent who apparently has undis- discovered a shit ton of financial uh, irregularities in the original agreement with Watford and the previous agent. So there, there, wow. there may be an option for us to pick up to boost the squad at a reasonable, at a well, a bugger all money uh, for a player who might be able to develop in, in, in into an Arsenal player. I've seen a bit of footage of the guy. He's not at that level yet, but he's got a lot of the attributes you'd want for a player in that position. As I say, mm. he's a bit like Granit Xhaka, not good on the ball, but he's slightly bigger, slightly stronger, and slightly quicker. So, uh, Interesting one. Um, how, how do you think Thomas Partey would regard coming to Arsenal? Do you think he would see it as a step down, step up, sideways? I think it'd be a bit of a sideways step. Uh, even though Atletico have achieved more than Arsenal, in Spain there's a bit of a glass ceiling, isn't there? You know, uh, Atletico managed to break through it a little bit, but have been slightly put back in their place. Uh, it's Real and Barca, Real and Barca, and then the rest of the Spanish leagues a bit, you know, give, a, give out to the top five or six. It was a bit meh. You know, there are challenging games because, of course, there's a lot of very talent, technically talented footballers there. But, you know, the, the bottom teams there have got such tiny resources compared to the top teams that it's nowhere near as much of a challenge as the Premier League. You know, I mean, footballers know that. Footballers know that, you know, the Premier League is the hardest place to win trophies. But because of that, it has a kudos because it's the most challenging place. Also, Arsenal are massive in Africa. 
it's you know we have to say that the Premier League is massive in Africa I and mean, obviously Real Madrid Barcelona the top teams around the world all are but the Premier League is is a really big deal over there and you know there's Arsenal are a team that for all their problems have an immense amount of potential I mean you know we as Arsenal fans look at recent seasons as a sort of failure but we've got to you know the Europa League semi-final and the Europa League final two years in a row okay it won't happen this year um, and most teams in Europe can't do that I mean Atletico did it at our expense uh, but that was an incredibly tight tie which was largely de determined by Lauren Koscielny's Achilles going ping and that being that um, you know it's a it's a situation where uh, I mean we get very down on it and the fact that our Premier League competition is so strong makes us feel diminished by comparison but Arsenal are still one of the, t the top 10 or 15 biggest clubs in the world you know in terms of in terms of global fan base in terms of club history in terms of uh, profile in terms of money in terms of earnings what you can get as a wage is wage Arsenal are still a massive massive club the problem is is just it feels a bit less like that because some billionaires came in and bought some other clubs in Britain yeah and yeah. And, and stopped it being a two or three horse race between Arsenal Man United and Liverpool which have always been the biggest clubs in the country now you've got the nouveau riche coming in and pissing on our chips <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I mean, you know, I'm obviously going to say that, but I, I am biased, but at the same time, I'm right. So, that, you know. <laughs> uh, another transfer rumour that's been doing the round, which I just wanted to touch on with you, is uh, Mikatarian staying at Roma. He seems to be having a nicer time there than he did here, uh, and they like him more, uh, which I suppose makes sense, given it's a slightly less physically done, uh, demanding league. Um, and there's talk of us trying to negotiate some kind of swap deal with us involved paying some money on top to try and get uh, Patrick Clivert's son in exchange. Uh, Justin. Justin, Justin yeah. well done. Yeah, Justin Clivert, who obviously started at Ajax uh, and has had a bit of a breakthrough with Roma, but isn't really exclusively first choice, although he's played a bit for them this season. Uh, he's, I think he's represented by... Mona Raiola, so yeah, it's back into the agent mode. Oh, that's happening then, is it? <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's, it's contacts, contacts football here, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, he's relatively two-footed winger, can play on either side, better on the left. Um, not exactly a position of massive positional priority, but you know, Mikatarin ain't coming back. I mean, and 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 presumably <laughs> you seem happy about that, okay? But uh, Roma, you know. Roma don't don't have a lot of money, so it, it, there may be a basis of conversation there. I mean, whether Clivert's a player we should be interested in, I don't know. I think he's got a lot of good attributes, but I don't think I don't think it's a position of priority for us. But it's you know, it's it's interesting. It's we're going to have a lot of these conversations about swap deals happening mm. uh, over the summer, uh, and uh, swap deals don't often work quite the way people would hope them they would, as we know with Mkhitaryan. <laughs> Case in point. Um, I think we got we got the better end of the deal by like that much. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's getting <laughs> he's getting paid less than half of what Sanchez is, and, and Roma paying more of his wages than Sanchez is being paid by Inter, and he actually scored and assisted for us a bit. 
so you know we got the better the better end of the deal, but neither team can really claim to be happy about it. No. I mean, that was an interesting conversation that was going on Twitter this week about Sanchez. You know, do you think it'd have been different if he'd gone to City uh, instead? Um, I'm not sure it would have been. I don't know what you. What do you think? Do you know the, the thought crossed my mind about 20 seconds ago that Arsenal, particularly when Arsene Wenger was in charge, was really good at having a footballer and running them into the ground <laughs> and then getting rid of them and. Um, you know, normally to gloating from the other side and then they find out six months later, oh, wait, he's broken. That's why they let him go. And, you know, that's happened with a few footballers down the years. Um, Indeed. So, Sadly, United got one good season out of Van Persie. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You know, you know there, there are... But even, again, even that was only one season. Yeah, I was going to say, it wasn't... I mean, it, the, the look on Van Persie's face... That, at the end of that season, when Alex Ferguson was announcing his retirement, is um, something I can take with me to my grave. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't remember what the original question was. <laughs> about Sanchez, about whether we think it would have been any different if he'd gone to City. Instead. Oh, yeah, so... Yeah, no, I, I, no, I don't think so. I think um, he played a lot of football in that... Uh, Three and a half, I think. So there was he didn't have a summer break at all, did he? There was the no. World Cup, there was the Copa America. Uh, it just seemed endless. Um, and then, of course, uh, I think this, the summer that came after he left us, there was a break for him. Yeah, yeah finally yeah. he got a break, but perhaps it came too late. Um, you know, he just played at hundred percent most of the time and I think if you do that I mean I remember even when we signed him they were talking about how he used to drive Guardiola nuts yeah yeah tearing around the pitch and they were four nil up to someone at home and they like, just managed the game you know um, so I think that was just in him to play that way and train that way and he um you know, he may have broken himself, but we certainly helped the process. I mean, it'd be interesting to see, you know, because obviously City, you know, concretely tried to get him and, you know, complete with fucking us around the, the previous summer, you know, keep them making noises about him. So they're going to sigh and talking to him, talking to his agent and then waiting to, to lowball us in the last fucking day of the transfer window, the cunts. Uh, sorry about the language, but I'm still, that was real dirty tactics. Um, and, uh, but... I mean, where would he have played at City? That's yeah. what I always thought it was really strange that they were so desperate to to buy him. I mean, apart from weakening us, but like, because you know, uh, their their wide players are fantastic. Like, you know, s- s- obviously they've got Bernardo Silva, they've got Sterling, they've got Sane in reserve, they've got Mares in reserve. Um, you know, they he would have been like backup for Aguero, maybe. Because it's not like his ball retention is good enough to have really play, you know, peak Guardiola ball. Uh, yeah. So, yes, it was an interesting one. Yeah, it was. I, um, when we sold him, I remember saying to people, oh, yes, United will be looking to sell him within two years. And as it happened, it was even quicker than that. that it was about uh, three months, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Well, I mean, it's also, yeah, I mean, I'm, like you at the time, I think I wrote an article about, you know, how it's it's a bitch for Arsenal, but at the same time, United have gone fuck themselves because they'd offered, they'd given him so much money and such a long contract. It's like, this guy's not going to last that contract. He was, yeah. his, his powers are already just starting to diminish when he, when he left, you know. Um, anyway, not our problem. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I mean... I don't really want to get into all the other kind of other transfer speculation that's going around because so much of it seems to be implausible and entirely made up <laughs> uh, as opposed to being realistic. I mean, they're still link- linking us to Upamecano from uh, Leipzig, uh, who looks like he's going to leave because he's not going to sign a new contract, but I'm not sure we've got the finance to spend that on a centre-half when our needs are also elsewhere. And we have got a lot of centre-halves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and we've got Saliba coming in, of course, uh, which will only add to those stocks. Um, uh, I did quite like the story with Darren Bent suggesting that if Aubameyang leaves, we should get Cavani on a free from PSG. (laughs) Um, Which is not the worst idea in the world, but equally, it's not the best. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There was uh, one bit of gossip that I picked up, which was... um regarding our old friend Santi Cazula. Oh, the coach um, thing. It, yeah, so he'd, um, he's made a decision about his future uh, reveal at the end of the season, but um, there is talk about him coming back to Arsenal as a coach, which obviously would make me very happy. Yeah, well, him and Arteta got on very well. I mean, he's it's quite funny that he's sort of being cryptic about it, but I guess... Given where where VRL are in the league and whatever, he, it's probably best if he doesn't say too much one way or another. Um, if, you know, but the fact he's and made it made it clear there will be an announcement of some description is either he's leaving or he's or he's just trying to give them a nice surprise at the end of the season. But it seems like the yeah. kind of, it seems like the kind of thing that you wouldn't you wouldn't bother saying unless there was something going to change. Uh, and of course, if he does live VRL, then. We'd like him to come here, please. Yeah, if he does come back to Arsenal, I hope they unveil him in a box and <laughs> or maybe maybe not. We're we're English, so we we don't go for that. Yeah, I'm not sure the magic show would be quite quite <laughs> our style. Although of course with the last of the old board having gone, you know, with Sir Chips going, there's only yeah. there's only Ken Fryer left of the old guard, so you know, maybe the new lot are a bit more into showy bollocks, I don't know. Is yeah. Kim Fryer still on the ball? He's still there. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. He, he He's like the person they keep there to prove that they haven't completely turned their back on everything, I think. Uh, but also, but, he knows everything about Arsenal from the last 70 years. <laughs> I hope someone's downloaded his brain, because that's, um, that's a lot of knowledge leaving with him when he uh, does depart one day. Yeah. I mean, he's 85 now, Ken Fryer, and he's... How old? 85. God. Um, you know, for some reason I thought he was older than that. Yeah, well, it's... Amazing. Cause, I, well, it's because he's been around the club for about 60-something of those years. <laughs> yeah, I, I love his story. I think um, yeah. on the Arsenal History DVD, he's, he's about to the club is... <laughs> Just walked in off the street and someone gave him a dip. Was it uh, Post Boy or something? Yeah. Um, But, you know, he literally has given his life 
lighter. I remember when they named the bridge after him, there was some people that were like, well, shouldn't that be named after a player or something? But actually, if there was anyone on the Arsenal board that deserved the bridge to be named after him, it's definitely Ken Fryer. Well, one can certainly say that he uh, he's given his life for the club. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean he's 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 been working for the club longer than quite a lot of people live. So, <laughs> yeah, well, also I mean it, that stadium particularly, it wouldn't have happened without him. Like he worked on that project for hour, like I, they they were doing eighteen hour days or something ridiculous. Mm. And thinking about how old Ken Fryer is now, he's. <laughs> You know, 15 years ago, he was 70. So, yeah, it's a lot to take on, I think. Yeah, uh, it'd be very interesting to see wh- what the club do. I mean, obviously, with our new private ownership model, they're, they're not having a chairman. Now, Sir Chips has handed in his notice. Um, so it is literally the owners and the executive team and sort of Ken Fryer. I don't know if Lord Harris of Peckham's still there as well. He might be still walking around. He made his money in carpets, I think. I think he might be. I was there four of them. Yeah, I think I think Lord Harris is is the other member of the old guard. Uh, um, I know that Sir Chips wanted to try and get um, David O'Leary in on the board, and <laughs> it was pretty quickly shut down on that one, which I think he was pissed off about. Um, the only other thing I want to touch on, obviously, just before the game at the weekend, is what's your expected lineup and what's your score prediction? Oh, oh. Um, I've actually written it down. Oh wow, <laughs> wow! Serious homework. So um, putting two and two together, in this case, literally the Brentford, Charlton, Sheets. So there were five players that started both games which were Leno, Bellerin, Mustafi, Tierney and Aubameyang. So, I mean, Aubameyang, obviously, we knew he was going to start. Um, I think David Luiz will start alongside Squadron Mustafi at the back. Which Seems likely. Quite frightening. Yeah. yeah, likely but frightening. Yep. Um, Centre mids, Gendouzi and Danny Ceballos. Oh. Um, yeah. And... Pepe on the right, and then uh, as the 10, <laughs> I've got JW slash MO, and I'm sort of wondering whether Joe Willock might start that game, because I just think Meza Ozil at Manchester City away, what's the point? Um, but I'm also aware that Joe Willock, I think, has not been that impressive when he's played this season, but I think there's definitely... Uh, he scored two goals in these in these last two games. He's certainly around the first team conversation, isn't he? Mm, mm, so mm. I wouldn't be surprised to see him start just because I think he'll give a little more physically than Mesut would. Um, so that so that that's my only uh, thing that I'm not sure about. Oh, and Lacazette up top, I didn't mention. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're probably not far off. I mean, obviously, a large part depends on what is the latest with Granite Xhaka. I know Torreira's not fully fit yet. Um, you know, he's hopefully not too far off. But, uh, yeah, he's he's not at 100%. He was carrying a knock uh, for a while, as we know. Um, 
So I suspect you're probably right. The, the main question is going to come down to, is Jack a fit and is it Ozil or someone else? Um, my guess is that he'll play Ozil um, simply because I think I think Ozil's ability for, for ball retention uh, is is going to be really important to us in this game. And if we're already a little bit upset structurally in midfield, you know, Ozil we know isn't great away from home, isn't great against high-pressure teams, but does give us a sort of possession structure, which um, if we end up having a, a central midfield of Ceballos and Gendouzi, for instance, we might not have that structure in some, quite the same way. Um, True. But you know, it's it, it it's it's going to be an interesting one. Um, but otherwise, I think your prediction's probably about right. And dare you predict a scoreline? Uh, I think three-one City. Fair enough. I think I think it's going to be close than that. I think it's going to be two-one or three-two. I think it's only going to be a one-goal game. But I do I do think City will have too much for us. Uh, well, I mean, just because they've got a squad full of brilliant footballers in almost every position. Yeah. But I think we'll score, and I think we'll, and I think it'll be close. There we go. So not the most cheerful predictions to end on, listeners. But hey, if you think we're talking bollocks, feel free to get in touch with at Daily Cannon on Twitter. You can give us a follow, or you can send us some abuse. It's all good. And uh, yeah, I guess there's nothing else to say except thanks for getting this far. If you have. Thanks to Paul for talking to me, so it's not just me you're listening to. Thank you for having me, Matthew. <laughs> uh, oh, week. and Brighton at three o'clock, don't forget, on Saturday. Yeah, that's a way as well, isn't it, Brighton? Yeah. 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 Well, Which I mean, is on, I think it's on BT Sport. I mean, that's a very difficult one to predict because we don't know what players' fitness level is going to be like and whether they're going to be able to play three times in, 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 a, in a week, which is essentially what yeah, the game is going to be. Yeah, I was listening to, I don't know if it was Lee Dixon on The Athletic, he was saying that he was expecting a lot of players, it might not have been Lee Dixon, but I think it was, um, saying he was expecting play, a lot of players to come down with soft tissue injuries because, yeah. you know, there's been this unknown pre-season and then you're thrown back into action and the games are going to be happening at quite a frenetic pace. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be quite a lot of rotation uh, and I would not be surprised to see us playing quite a different starting eleven uh, in certain positions, particularly in midfield uh, against Brighton. Um, tricky one to call Brighton because they started the season really well and they've really gone off the boil, but obviously there's been this massive break. Um, I mean, we yeah. obviously they did a job on us at our place. And we, um, <sighs> Neil Marpey, I heard about that as well. <laughs> Gabriel, but, but of course, you know, and, and Graham Potter's obviously a pretty shrewd coach, as, as his coaching career today suggest, to date suggests. But um, it, I mean, that game's all about how how we turn up, really, because if we play well, we'll beat them, uh, and if we don't, we won't. Because they're, def- yeah. you know, they're defensively solid and they work their they work their guts off and they've got a little bit going forward. <coughs> but I don't, <coughs> I don't want to sort of look forward to that one simply because we don't know what players are going to be able to play. Um, <coughs> sorry, I appear to be dying. <coughs> Might be a good time to go. <laughs> yes, that appears to be a, a good time Get to sign off. Don't die. It's not um, worth it. <laughs> Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> too many different thoughts in response to that so i think i'm going to knock this on the head (laughs) okay mate
<laughs> so thanks very much listeners and thanks to you Paul as always and have a great week everyone cheerio cheers, cheers.